This podcast will discuss difficult content, so listener discretion is advised. My name is Nora Yunus, and I am your host of the No Nonsense Anti Racism Podcast. On August 7, 2014, the second degree murder verdict was announced against Theodore Wafer who killed a 19-year-old black woman named Renisha McBride. Disoriented from a car crash, she stumbled onto Theodore's porch, asking for help. During the trial, Wafer testified that he grabbed his two-gauge shotgun because he feared for his life. He said he just reacted when he shot her in the face through the door, causing her immediate death. While we cannot know with certainty whether Wafer would have had the same reaction had McBride been a white woman, it does seem unlikely. Should we assume that everyone is racist? Are our brains hardwired to differentiate people based on how we look? How can we overcome bias if we don't always know we're being biased? When discussing race and racism, are we more influenced by nature or by nurture? These are questions and conversations that have been and continued to be explored the world over by scientists, psychologists, anthropologists, and many more. There is still a lot, a lot that we don't know, but what research can conclude is that nobody is born racist. We are taught to discriminate from the people and systems around us. I know, this isn't a revolutionary statement. You might have guessed that we aren't born racist. But what you probably don't know is how our brains, despite our best intentions, can sabotage us to act and think in more prejudicial ways. As I go through today's episode, I hope you'll start to examine your own prejudices, behaviors, and actions because we all have them. And without intentionally stopping to question this mindset, we can't begin to unlearn the patterns that materialize into racism. Unfortunately, there isn't a magic wand or a crystal ball to show us if we have any kind of implicit bias, but something really interesting that I did find in my research was Harvard University's Implicit Association Test. I will link the test site on the show notes. The Implicit Association Test It measures attitudes and beliefs that people may be unwilling or unable to report. It's really especially interesting if um, it shows some kind of implicit attitudes that you have that you did not know about. Go ahead and take the Harvard Implicit Association Test. Our brains largely work on autopilot, filtering the easy and familiar with patterns, And sometimes this means that our brains autopilot racism. It's safe to say that Renisha McBride would still be alive if Theodore's unconscious bias didn't cause him to react so violently and so quickly towards her. According to evolutionary psychology, our brains have evolved over hundreds of thousands of years to categorize and process data very, very fast and it is integral for how our species survived and thrived. Imagine it's the year 53,000 
765 BC, <laughs> or just a really long time ago, and two male Neanderthals are leaving their cave home. They hear a bush rustling and stop to wonder what it could be. Their brains are processing at a slower pace than it would nowadays, but their brains are processing how much the bush is moving, how loud the growling is, in order to determine whether they're facing a threat. If their brains take too long to figure it out, they might get eaten by a tiger, so their brains evolved to analyze the stimulus around them very quickly. Our brains, the limbic cortex more specifically, processes 99.999996% of information automatically, implicitly. Despite keeping us alive in the past, though, these quick biological functions nowadays are leading to the kind of racially differentiated harm that we're seeing and experiencing. This is in addition to other things. I don't want to give the impression that only this evolutionary psychology can explain racism fully. It does help to understand, though, how our brains are processing information, so I just want to be clear there. Our brains make these decisions very quickly, and truthfully, our brains are kind of lazy. It relies on past information to inform future decisions. This is known as heuristics, spelled H-E-U-R. I-S-T-I-C-S. Heuristics are mental shortcuts that help people make quick assessments. When an observer tries to assess whether someone else is a threat, the observer relies on common, everyday heuristics. There's something called an availability heuristic, for example. The availability heuristic is a mental shortcut that helps people to evaluate what a criminal is likely to look like, whatever is most available, whatever's top of mind, I guess you would say. Media representations about African Americans make it easier for people to retrieve examples of African Americans as criminals, rather than to retrieve examples of people from other races. Thus, according to available research, in most people's mind, the prototypical criminal is a black person. Heuristics were first coined by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky in the early 1970s. They're psychologists, and Daniel Kahneman won a Nobel Prize in economics. Although not originally coined to enlighten conversations on racism, the definition sheds light on human behavior in general. Our brain differentiates people as those who are in our in-groups and those who are in out-groups. This is a principle from social psychology, and it defines an in-group as a group that we psychologically associate with, and an out-group as a group that we do not identify with. Obvious examples of in-groups are according to their race, culture, gender, age, or religion. Less obvious in-groups can be related to tastes in movies, wines, art, music, or even less obviously who you hang out with at work, which high school you went to, what apartment building you live in. Backlash Against Black Lives Matter paints their supporters as a police-hating group. So you're either for cops, in an in-group, or you're against them, out-group. The challenge with in-out-group thinking 
emerges because it isn't just dividing people up. It's what the associations are that we make to these groups. We see our in-groups as positive, superior, and the out-groups as a negative or inferior group. It divides people into us and them, resulting in generalizations, oversimplified, distorted, and one-dimensional portrayals of people. We believe that people from out-groups act badly because they are bad, whereas when we do something bad, or people of our in-group do something bad, it's because of our situation. This is called fundamental attribution errors. It's the tendency we have to believe that when someone does something hurtful, that person is hurtful. But when we do something hurtful ourselves, it's because our action was justified by some context or situation. When they do something, it's because they are inherently a bad person, whereas when we do something, we make excuses for it. Psychologists who have studied this subject argue that as we seek to make sense of our complicated and confusing world, we inevitably stereotype people to some degree. Some of these stereotypes are positive and some, unfortunately, are negative. In a sense, they say that people have to simplify and make generalizations. So, as a function, heuristics and in-out group biases aren't inherently racist. They're a process that our brains use to keep us alive. However, our societal narrative about people of color, born out of white supremacy as an ideology, negatively caricatures groups of people, resulting in prejudicial thinking that is then used to justify discriminatory action against one group by another. Our brain may identify someone as different from us, and our brain may associate some behaviors to that person that white supremacy has told us makes those people inferior or dangerous. But, and this is a big but, this does not mean that these associations are true and accurate. And this has life and death consequences in so many areas of our society, including healthcare, including police violence and brutality. The consequences are deadly for people like Rashida, George Floyd, Abdurrahman Abdi, Breonna Taylor, and so many others. Racial categorizations start even younger than you might think. From the age of four and five, children develop racial biases. This, of course, isn't because children are racist. It's because they absorb messages about themselves and society. Children are little sponges, soaking up what they see and hear around them and spitting it back out when we ask. When they aren't able to interact with children who look different from them, when they hear their parents saying things about specific communities of color, or when they watch television and see stereotypes laid out about certain people, they absorb those messages and keep them until they're unlearned. This doesn't just stop at children. It's all of us, even as adults. We see the stereotypes around us, we absorb them, and spit it back out. A renowned child psychologist named Dr. Margaret Beale Spencer highlighted how children as young as four and five absorb racial biases. She replicated a famous study from the 1940s around children and race using dolls. 
called the Doll Study. The first Doll Study was conducted in the 1940s by doctors Kenneth and Mamie Clark to understand the effects of school segregation on black students, and it found that the children overwhelmingly chose white dolls over brown ones and associated positive attributes to the white dolls. The Clarks concluded that prejudice, discrimination, and segregation created a feeling of inferiority among African-American children and damaged their self-esteem. Dr. Kenneth Clark shared, The doll's test was an attempt on the part of my wife and me to study the development of the sense of self-esteem in children. We worked with Negro children, I'll call black children, to see the extent to which their color, their sense of their own race and status, influenced their judgment about themselves, self-esteem. The doll study played a major role in the Supreme Court decision in 1954 to desegregate schools in the United States. A little bit more about Dr. Kenneth Clark and Dr. Mamie Clark. Dr. Kenneth Clark was the first African-American to earn a PhD in psychology at Columbia University. He was also the first to hold a permanent professorship at the City College of New York and to serve as president of the American Psychological Association. His wife, Mamie Clark, was the first African-American woman and the second African-American, after Kenneth, to receive a doctorate in psychology at Columbia. They were closely involved in the integration efforts of New York City and New York State. We are going to take a very short break and we'll be right back. Hey, did you know? If you're a community organization that would like to share events or updates, feel free to reach out for a mention here on the podcast. All of our contact information is in the show notes. In 2010, CNN's Anderson Cooper and a group of researchers recreated the doll test. They wanted to see if, in 2010, there would be similar results of racial bias in children. Dr. Margaret Spencer was one of the researchers involved in this CNN study. And, unfortunately and unsurprisingly, the results in 2010 were not much different than previous research. Here is a clip of two of the white children answering some questions from the researchers. Show me the dumb child. Okay, why is she the dumb child? Because she has black skin. Show me the mean child. Why is he the mean child? Because he's brown. Show me the bad child. Why is he the bad child? Because he's black. Okay. Show me the ugly child. Why is he the ugly child? Some of those sounds that you heard were the kids in the video kicking a chair, fidgeting, and also just uh, the researcher writing some things down. That's probably really difficult for some of you to hear, though, too, right? Kids are incredibly honest. They just say what's on their mind, despite social norms, because they haven't necessarily been taught that yet. And for some of the parents who were watching that clip back, they were shocked and embarrassed and 
just couldn't believe that their kids would say those things. Not because they're mean-spirited or racist children. They couldn't believe that the stimulus around them has ingrained racism that much so early on. I will share the link to the video in the show notes, so please feel free to go in, hear more from Dr. Margaret, who is a fantastic researcher, and to just hear a little bit more about the results and conclusions from the research that they did. So I think after some reflection from the comments from the children in the video, we might have some adaptations to be suspicious of strangers as we're growing up, but this might also be a cultural adaptation. We can teach our children to be suspicious or racist. However, we can also teach our children to be open. It really does depend on our education and our socialization, not our biology. There is no biological device to make us fear either snakes or other people. We teach and we learn these behaviors. Do you ever notice how carefree babies are? When they're running around, they just interact with the world around them without regard for safety or social norms because that's just how they learn. It's only when we inform them of danger, goodness, ickiness that they start to associate those things positively or negatively. So you might be listening to this and wondering, how do we undo the automatic processes in our brain? Heuristics draw upon intuitive stereotypes, positive and negative, that have been drilled into us by society. These brain processes are a part of the way the human mind functions, and honestly, they're not going away. However, there are some things that we can do. We can do some work to reprogram our minds. If our psyches automatically draw from stereotypes, we have to strive to eliminate those negative presumptions and transform them into something positive. Ask yourself, are your assumptions based in fact or are they meant to degrade and count someone as lesser? Next time you watch the news and you see the way that certain people are being portrayed, either in like the photos that, that are being used or the headlines of the media, ask yourself if this is accurate. Ultimately, replacing the data at the source of the stereotypes could start to revolutionize how we view and treat those who are different from us. We are all different in many different ways, and simply thinking that you can live your life not acknowledging those differences is not a solution. So when you say, I'm just, I'm not going to see race anymore, I'm not going to see people's skin color, that's not going to work. Our skin color is a part of who we are. It makes up our sense of identity and who we are. So you can't take that away necessarily. You can't just say you won't see it. So replacing the stereotypes in our minds, that's one way to try and undo this process in our brains. Another is to seek out people who belong to the groups that are different from your own. If you only interact with people from your own religion, ethnic group, or race, your stereotypes are unlikely to be challenged. You won't know people who can combat the stereotypes that you may have. If I've never hung out with someone who is Chinese-Canadian, the stereotype that they eat bats, for example, might go on in my head unchallenged because I've never met someone who could tell me in person that that's not a real stereotype. 
So we have those two, and I'm going to leave those two as challenges for you. Replace stereotypes in your mind and seek out people who are different from your own. Over this next week, I want you to use those two actions as much as you can. So every time some kind of stereotype comes up, I want you to try and think about where it comes from. Think about whether that really defines that person. And then, of course, I want you to reach out to someone who is different from the people in your group so that you can start to make these connections and have just like a much more diverse group of people in your circle. There's way too many people who are just kind of like living in an echo chamber where they only interact with people who mirror their own set of ideals and values. And I know it's because we feel comfortable with this. It's, it feels very safe to us, but it's also really damaging in the long term. Also, don't forget to do the Harvard University Implicit Association Test. I read a really lovely analogy that an author gave comparing stereotypes to butterflies, and I want to leave you with this. When stereotypes flutter across your thoughts, like a butterfly, capture it gently, examine it, and then let it go. You will find that you are much more aware of which stereotypes your brain starts to process. You'll be much more aware of whether they're harmful and negative or if they're positive and and maybe untrue. And you'll also see just how many times stereotypes are impacting the way we see one another. And so I hope that they will be helpful ways for you to, to start on learning and start undoing this kind of automatic process that happens in our brains. And of course, once you feel comfortable recognizing the stereotypes that are around you, share this information with your friends and family. Imagine the impact that could happen on an individual basis if everybody just kind of stops and thinks about the harm that stereotypes cause and the way that their behaviors influence other people. I've had so many negative interactions with people based on what I know is the stereotypes they've had about me. So there's a lot of power in kind of changing that dynamic in yourself and being much more positive with people in your life and people that interact with you, whether whether only one time or regularly. And of course, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Handle is racism, period, is, period, nonsense. We are also on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify. So please make sure to subscribe so that we hit your inbox automatically on hashtag Woke Wednesdays. For all of you celebrating in the U.S., congratulations on this historic election with Vice President Kamala Harris and President-elect Joe Biden. Stay safe. Keep your masks on, everybody. Wishing you a happy, happy Wednesday. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.